1: It is 7-10 uh, in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with uh, our producer, Jonathan Lowe, and talking about hoping to connect with uh, Maureen Bausch, the CEO of the Minnesota Super Bowl Host Committee. I do think that they did an amazing job. They had 10,000 volunteers. Uh, they put together an extraordinary effort, I think. Uh, I, you know, didn't have, um, you know, I covered a few of the things, so I didn't really go to you know, that many events, although I did find out a couple of days before the Super Bowl, I think it was the Thursday or Friday before, I had the credential to go to all the things like uh, the NFL experience or Super Bowl experience, Super Bowl Live. They sent out an email at WCCO TV which said that, oh, the NFL accidentally sent us all or sent everybody in the um, uh, WCCO newsroom Super Bowl credentials for the actual game. So I could have gone to the game, but they said don't use them. And so I was half tempted to go and kind of sneak in there and take a look, but I didn't because obviously that would have been inappropriate. And obviously we did have crews that were actually working there and and actually doing the job there. But overall, I think things went really remarkably well from the, the traffic coordination downtown. I, I don't know if people saw there were actually tanks downtown that were actually blocking off street corners when, when the traffic was passing. I actually went to the security command center, and that was amazing. I mean, it was – and I, I actually just saw, had to sign a non disclosure agreement for two years not to reveal where that secret security center was in downtown Minneapolis, but I can tell you it was so impressive, the whole effort. And certainly one of the reasons that this whole – Super Bowl went so well is the Minnesota Super Bowl host committee, who I really think just did an amazing job. They, they were accessible. They were all over the place. Uh, they seemed to be literally in, in five places at once. And the CEO of that host committee, Maureen Bausch, is joining me now. Maureen, have you recovered yet? Yes,
2: <laughs> I think we're... I think we're back to normal.
1: You think you're back to and Well, have you gotten any sleep? <laughs> because I saw you the morning <laughs> after or the afternoon after, and you, you said you'd gotten a few hours. There was a big event with a handoff with the folks in Atlanta. But, you know, one of the people that, that works for you, um, Andrea, told me that it was very similar to running or working on a campaign, a political campaign, because it's nonstop, 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 and there's always something else you can do, and then it's over.
2: Exactly. Exactly, and I've not worked on a, a political campaign, but it makes a lot of sense. The difference is your campaign, your your candidate won, but he he or she is off to New York and, <laughs> and leaves the staff behind.
1: Right. So, but but uh... you're still. I mean, you folks are are still. Um... Actually, there are there are end, loose ends to tie up. You know, bills still coming in. You're actually going to be on the job, I, I believe, until May, or some folks are until May. Yeah, till the end
2: of May. Okay, the end of May when you um, close down the office formally. But there are bills to pay. There's reports to be um, compiled. There's a lot of different, lot of different details that have to be. Um, and then we also will send quite a bit over to the history center. Um, we will sure. compile a book for our partners, the the great Minnesota corporations that paid for this. So, yeah, and and there's, there's some work to do,
1: right? And I do think you know it went so well. I, we were talking with um, uh, John Elder, who is with the City of Minneapolis Police Department, and he just talked the day after. He was just saying, we are just thrilled, but we are so relieved
2: uh, <laughs> from because they, they were
1: they were in charge of the security, and and they yeah. said you know that. that the attention to detail was was so intense and he actually told a story i don't know if you've heard this but i i think it was the day before within the perimeter i think within a block or two of the stadium there was a car that was just sitting there without any license plates and they mm-hmm. completely have you heard this
2: story well I, there's been a few things like okay okay heard,
1: well yeah, then and they and they they were of course went into just you know complete professional mode mm-hmm. they got the bloomington bomb squad they got it all surrounded and they set off a perimeter and it was a tow truck driver who had a problem with his own battery and had <laughs> gone to get – and had to get another battery and he <laughs> comes back and there's this major SWAT situation going on. But that's the kind of precaution that they took to make sure that everybody was so safe. And I, I think that that's something that I, I feel that you got you folks just handled that so well and it was seamless and there were actually fewer arrests – during the Super Bowl period than there were this at this time
2: last year. I mean, that's amazing. Yes, yes it is. But it, it was three years of planning and many different organizations involved. Um, as, as you know, there were rings. I'm sure you learned that. The rings of security, both um, police and then undercover and crowd control and National Guard and and the training that went in, the tabletop drills, the practice, uh, looking for anything suspicious. It, it. I think the city was was so safe during the Super Bowl because of all the extra right. planning and people.
1: And you know, you and you folks were so, I think, smart, especially because of the way the weather turned out. To immediately, that was a, immediately or almost immediately, you went with this bold North. Let's embrace <laughs> the winter theme. Yes. Uh, you know, was that ever a hesitation, or was that something you just thought off? Right off the bat, because I think by doing that, I think you mitigated what might have been so, oh, this this is so cold. I mean, I, I really do. I think that was just
2: such a smart idea of yours. Well, it, well you can't hide February. It's yeah. going to do what it's going to do, right? Yes. And um, I, I remember being out in San Francisco and hearing someone, um, a fan who was attending that game, complaining about going to Minnesota in two years. And it was at that point I thought, you know, you really have to lean into this. And um, the Eric Dayton North Movement had taken hold and people were proud of being from the North. So it just kind of worked. Bold North took off. And it really was like, you know, don't talk to us about the cold. We know that. Now talk to us about all the great things Minnesota has to offer. And we, we heard so many positive things about, about how people were treated I just am absolutely positively sure people will be back to Minnesota right. to visit.
1: Well, yeah, and, and um, you know, when I did a story um, with you on Monday, I used an, a bunch of interviews that my colleague and friend Angela Davis had gotten with fans leaving the stadium, and to a person, they, they all they talked about, I mean, every single one of the fans she interviewed, and she interviewed a lot, said people were so fabulous. The transportation, the logistics, getting to the stadium, all of those things – we were, were just so great. And, and they all said that. I mean, they literally all said that. Uh, so, you know, obviously you were able to pull that off in terms of getting people from Hotel A to, you know, or getting an Uber and all, all of that kind of thing.
2: It takes a lot of planning. It, it really doesn't happen by accident. And there were a lot of little touches along the way and things, when you think about, when you, when you strategize about an event like this, you want to think about the guest experience from the minute... They're, they start thinking about coming to your city to the minute they leave, and then you follow them through. And what would make a difference? And we use that strategy. And and so there were a lot of little touches along the way um, that I think help seal the impression of Minnesota. Right, and you
1: certainly have a marketing background. Uh, you actually uh, went rose to the ranks at the Mall of America uh, to become the top, you know, executive there. What? How did that? How did that help you as, as the person who was the CEO of this plan for this unbelievable event?
2: Well, I, they give you a book, for the NFL gives you a book and it, you know, <laughs> how the it, it Super It's not terribly thick, but it's a good book. And the very There's first literally line, a book? <laughs> well, it, it's a three-ring binder. ring binder. <laughs> it's a three-ring binder, but but the very first line said, uh, we're going to give you a magnificent platform. Use it to uh, talk about your city or your state uh, it, because this is a wonderful opportunity. And of course that is a directive to a marketer. And so it's just determining what you want the world to know about your state and then putting together a plan to tell them. And the bold North worked within that plan and our corporations made it easy because they are the innovative ones that we could talk about. So it it works, but that was, that was the first line in the book. And so um it's more than a football game. It, it the capstone is is the best football game of the year, but but leading up to it is our opportunity to market. So it right. all worked,
1: right? And, and 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 you know, and I I was involved with one event, um, uh, you know, the the founders' breakfast for the taste of the NFL that Dave Mona oh, yeah. organized here. That just and did such a wonderful job because he was on that committee back in nineteen ninety two. But some of those events, you know, what you just said. It's more than a football game. And it, it is so much more than a football game because, you know, of the NFL experience and the NFL live. It was something that the entire community could embrace and also the taste of the NFL and the charitable events that went around. And it it was sort of really cool as somebody who was actually reporting on it back in 92 to see all of those things that were innovations back then in 92 that, that started here in Minnesota be fully embraced to the umpteenth degree, you know, here in, in terms of the celebration that was – Super Bowl Fifty Two. I mean, Absolutely. that was really cool.
2: I mean there were there were twenty eight nonprofit events um, that one week alone. I, I think you would need a month to go to every single event that happened in that ten days. There were so many. We used well over a hundred venues. Um, there were there were private parties, there were public parties, there were gated or ticketed parties. Um, but but that party with a purpose. Really was launched here in Minnesota. And boy, has it taken off, as you said.
1: Right. The the taste of the NFL. Was there anything that surprised you or that you had to kind of adjust as you look at, you know, looking back at it?
2: Um, you know, I, wish, I I truly wish I could have made it to all hundred plus events.
1: Um, you were pretty good, Maureen. You 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 were even on the zip line. You even did the zip line. I was like, I you know, I mean, I heard, I heard Jacob Fry was going to do the zip line. Some colleagues, mine did the zip line. I was like, there's no way. And then I, and Maureen Bausch was on the zip line. I was like, okay,
2: <laughs> she is everywhere. Well, I was kind of coaxed into it by the CEO of Caribou. He challenged me and I think he was right behind me. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have gone if he wasn't pushing. But um it and then Chad Greenway, of course, was there with his GoPro, so I was stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go. But it you know, I did. I went in the back door of many things and looked around and, and had a glimpse and then went on. But um the one there were some very organic um uh, special places that that kind of happened, and had we known about it, maybe we would have done it differently, or or maybe we would have just let it happen exactly the way it did, but Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and their 48 concerts that they did, uh, we used that J.B. Hudson space inside right. Dayton. At Dayton's is kind of a place where the entertainers could gather, and we let people in to talk to them. It became this... Almost a club atmosphere, but um, a reunion of all these great musicians that came from Minnesota and you know it just it just happened, and it happened every single night for ten nights
1: very cool, and so. the concerts were amazing, and you know th- there were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people here every night, despite the cold temperatures, and they were just <laughs> rocking out i mean it was it was an amazing a party the
2: colder it got. That the more people came out, and then when it snowed, I had 100 people tell me, isn't it perfect? Isn't it perfect It's snowing? Now, the keyboards froze up, but the <laughs> entertainer said, we'll just go in that green room and wait. Thaw them out. We'll them come them back. back. They were such troopers. They really were. Wow. Um, but it was, it was great fun, and, and people are not afraid of the cold here. They just aren't. Right. And it, it did get cold
1: right and also it sounds like the transportation piece worked out really well at least you know according and that certainly was verified by all those fans coming out i mean that must have taken just a whole separate layer of planning <laughs> yeah
2: and we have a great a great public transportation system here and a wonderful uh, operating board that that manages that so to have community partners like the MTC and met council and um, all those folks, it was just wonderful because they all understood it. But if you had been to other Super Bowls, it does get crowded. And, and certainly with all those people in town, it, you are going to have traffic and pinch points and so on. But compared to other Super Bowls, it really, really was markedly less. Right. And that's what you—that's probably what you were hearing from those people that have gone to eight Super Bowls. Right.
1: And, um, and what about – and did the people from Atlanta, because you were part of a, kind of a cool – you know, it literally was a handoff that next morning. My goodness, you know, you folks didn't even get a break. It was, I think, at 8 o'clock in the morning or 7.30 in the morning. And there was Marilyn Carlson Nelson and you yeah. and, you know, the Governor Dayton was there and officials from Atlanta. Was there anything that the Atlanta people had to say or were wondering about? Because it's, it's a very, obviously, a very different city, different climate.
2: Well, we we've we've met with them several times in Miami and Tampa also. The next three are all um southern cities, but we I every single week I would update um uh Miami and Atlanta on what we were doing in real time. So they they have all those documents. Um so it wasn't new news they'll be back again within the next 30 days to debrief okay. and Oh so you it's mean like
1: most, like 2 weeks out right. you were saying okay we've just hired we're right. setting up the perimeter around the mm-hmm. you know so you, you they were actually getting updates this is what we're doing today yeah. and how yeah. many how many weeks out did you do that
2: 52
1: <laughs> you, you you did it 52, for 52 weeks, weeks. <laughs> for 52 weeks you were briefing yeah. Atlanta and and it, so I know Atlanta has it next year and Miami has it the year after that Yeah so yep. you were literally saying, okay, week 51, this is what we're doing this week here in the Twin Cities.
2: Wow. And, and, and it was just, it, I was doing it, I, I, I was writing it for a few other people, and I said, would this be helpful? And they said, yes. And so I, I then I would put in, oh, by the way, you might want to think of, and um, in, into those memos so that it helped. And I, every once in a while I'd say, do you still want to get these? And they said, oh, yes, oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Well. Well, I guess I guess the Minnesota binder, three-ring binder, is a little bigger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, yes. I, I just – I really do think – I think you guys really did an amazing job, and I've just heard only positive things. I think people were a little worried about, you know, with that forecast and, you know, really – I mean, yes, we're used to that kind of cold, but that's about as cold as it gets here. That's and what I said. It,
2: it's not going to get any worse.
1: Right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. You
2: all lived, didn't you? You're
1: right. Awesome. <laughs> Well, I think people just had a great time. Well, Maureen, you, you guys were have been so great to deal with from the media perspective. I mean, it's really so accessible. And, uh, you know, just congratulations. I mean, you really, really pulled it off and it, an amazing job.
2: Thank you, Esme. You guys are great because we it's a team. You guys, us, and and the whole state of Minnesota. So I think we made a lot of friends, and that's that was the goal, right?
1: Absolutely. Well, it, it certainly, I think, made Minnesota look very, very good.
2: Okay. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Absolutely, Maureen. Very good.
1: That was Maureen Bausch, and you know, I really—they were so smart. As I said, you know, in in the interview with Maureen, just to to embrace that bold North, because if they thought, well, maybe we can count on high twenties, which is what in '92 I remember that I remember doing stories leading up to the '92 Super Bowl. Will the ice castle melt? (laughs) And that was the big concern because it was, you know, above freezing. And we didn't have that problem this time, but I do think that they did um, just an amazing job. All right, folks, uh, we are going to take a break. You are listening to News Radio eight three zero. Oh, uh, hang on a second. We are going to, I guess, take it to the bottom of the hour. Um, I, I just, I just thought that they did a really, really nice job, and I do think that even information about, um, I think information got out there. Like for instance, I have a parking card. I have a parking spot, and. They said, you know, hey, anybody who has a parking lot in a city lot in Minneapolis and you you want to park on Sunday, you won't be able to. Well, you know, I actually work on Sundays, and so I was like, uh. But at least that information got out. I mean, I thought they were very good about that, very good about getting the information about out about all kinds of different uh, events that were going on. I think they were also really good about getting information about Events that were affordable out. I think the TV stations did do a good job, but they got us the right information. Uh, all of those things, I think, were, were, were just they had daily updates for the media. I thought it was really, really, um, really, really an, an amazing event. And I think you know we have, I guess, arguably the Final Four is. I, I mean, you, is that number two? Would you say or uh, in terms? Of, I mean, because that's going to get as a lot neutral of neutral site event.
0: That probably is number two um, on the annual that's calendar. That's four
1: teams, and they're right. here. They're here for what four or five days, and then I think there's similar events leading up to it, aren't there?
0: Yeah, it won't be as. It's not near as long as Super Bowl week, and uh, I believe Sloan was talking about that in her newscast earlier this evening. They're not going to have to plan for ten days of stuff. They're only going to have to plan for five. But still, so it's only
1: five years because because you know in the '92 Super Bowl it wasn't ten days. I'm not sure when that happened, but <laughs> it's,
0: it's grown over time. It's pro- yeah. it, it probably really ratcheted up. I'd i probably say, uh, 2000 to 2001. That time, Eric Nelson would know that, right? Okay, uh, because I know head.
1: I know it wasn't ten days
0: back right. in '92. But the the Final Four, it's it's much more condensed. It does, it's the NCAA. They don't have as much money as the, as the NFL does. But you have, like you said, four teams. There are going to be two nights of actual gameplay. But there will, be, there will be a night in between where there's really nothing that's going to happen as far as game action. And then they'll have a couple of days to have the teams. And the teams might get in here a little bit earlier than five days. They'll probably get in here maybe Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. Right. But uh, as far as that's concerned... That might you you may be right. That might be the second biggest sporting event right. that annually happens, where it's a neutral site.
1: Right? Do you know? And because and I I sort of remember the Final Four being here in '92, and it was here again. 2001. Do they have? Do you know if they have these events that, that people can take part in, like like the Super Bowl live, yeah, which I, was those concerts I'm, that was free, and then the Super Bowl experience that was thirty five dollars, but it's not two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars
0: i I don't think you'll have something like a super bowl live i do believe they have something like an nfl experience where you can go you can you, you can look at different uh exhibits that will be up and maybe shoot uh baskets or they'll have different games to play for kids and that sort of thing i do think that will be somewhere in the
1: twin cities i don't think it'll be at the stadium
0: but it'll be somewhere
1: Right. And well, they should because people will pay money to go see it. Oh, yeah. So but I, I do think, you know, people love that event. They love that event so much.
0: And the the good thing about that is it will be in April. It's yes. gonna be in the beginning yes. of April. Now, <laughs> the beginnings of April around here have been dicey. I can attest to that. Having lived here for the past ten years, there have been some Aprils that have been extremely dicey weather wise, but it's not gonna be near as bitter cold right as it was this, this, right. for the super bowl and especially in the middle
1: of january right well and and it's it, if it's dicey in april it tends to be dicey for maybe a day and then it gets yeah, better it, or two it, days it, and then yeah, it gets it, better it's not this we've had it for a while here so
0: yeah we it's it's been uh, uh the freezer has has the light is still on in the freezer we need to close it's the door coming in the freezer it's coming 40s on we need, Wednesday, we I'll, to, I'll have
1: a full forecast here in just a few minutes. We
0: need to walk out of the freezer <laughs> and walk back into the kitchen. Yes. Let's get into the kitchen in the room temperature. Let's right. let's try to do and that. And I folks. you know
1: something? I, I just I, I'd be happy with teens and twenties. That, that would be awesome. Perfect. Perfect, uh, perfect, perfect, good, perfect. Good
0: on you. Give me sixties. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, I I would love teens and twenties. That's perfect. Everybody can enjoy the snow, the winter sports without just worrying about
0: it but, but I agree with you. I think now, I, I didn't get out and about as much yeah. as I as I would want to, but I thought the committee did a fantastic job. I thought they did a really good job of getting everything in those spaces where they needed to get the, the, the NFL experience and the NFL Super Bowl live and using the Mall of America, using the Axel Energy Center. I thought they d- used their resources well. And unfortunately, when you get up here in, Janu- in January, the early portion of February, it's going to be cold. You can't really do anything about the weather, right?
1: But Maureen Bausch was right that the concert crowd that night before the Super Bowl uh, on on and Mall, the colder it got, seemed more crowds came out, and maybe it's because they were here and they wanted to embrace it. But I thought that was really amazing.
0: I thought I thought they did a very good job of of again using their resources well, using now the depot with or the armory. I'm sorry, right. and using that as a, as a venue. I thought they spread it around very well.
1: Right, very cool. All right. Wilson, let's take a break. We'll and when we come back we'll give you some weather and then later on we're going to talk with Uh, A doctor from Abbott Northwestern about a new blood cancer test for different kinds of cancer. Really something that's very cutting edge. That's coming up on News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome
2: to Play It, a new podcast network
0: featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It
1: It is 8 degrees, 737 in the Twin Cities. As May Murphy with you until 9 o'clock along with producer Jonathan Lowe. And at 8 o'clock, I do want to let you know that we will have my friend, after the news break, we will have my friend David Schultz to talk politics. And as always, there is a lot to talk about. But this half hour, we are going to talk about some new blood tests that really perhaps could be a breakthrough or certainly a help in diagnosing and dealing with the battle against different forms of cancer. Uh, Dr. Michaela Shaw from is from the Minnesota Oncology at Abbott Northwestern and is joining us now. And first of all, uh, Dr. Did I say your last name correctly? Uh, it's Sai. Sai. That's okay. My apologies. Um, no worries. Uh, Dr. Sai, tell us about the these blood tests and what exactly. I mean, do they involve and what can they detect?
2: So this particular test is called Cancer Seek. And this was from research done at Johns Hopkins, published recently in the journal Science, a well-known uh, scientific journal. So this is looking at a combination of two different tests that we've been able to do individually in the past and a new computer algorithm to try to screen for cancers. So it's looking at protein biomarkers in combination with mutations in circulating tumor DNA to screen for eight different types of cancer.
1: Wow. Okay. What are the different types of cancers that that are are involved here?
2: So ovarian, liver, stomach, pancreas, esophagus, colon, lung, and breast. And what's particularly exciting about this test is it can, in theory, screen for cancers that we otherwise don't have good screening tests for, like ovarian, liver, and pancreas.
1: Right. And, and what were the ones that you left out there that it doesn't, the major ones that it won't test for?
2: Well, so it's not testing for, let's say, soft tissue sarcoma, endometrial cancer, melanoma, things like that. Um, it's probably not as helpful testing for things that we can already screen for quite well, like breast cancer, cervical cancer, and colon cancer.
1: How about lung cancer?
2: So it, this test is screening for lung cancer. Okay. We have you know, CT screening for people at very high risk of lung cancers, people with high uh, smoking histories. Uh, but yes, lung was included in this particular wow. test.
1: Okay. And uh, let me ask you, um, who, how does this differ? Because I know that there's some DNA testing out there for people who might be in a category of having certain types of, of breast cancer. How does this differ from it? Or is this a supplemental tool?
2: So you can do genetic testing to see if you have an inherited predisposition to breast cancer, for example, BRCA1 and BRCA2, and now a number of other new genes that you can be tested for if you have a very strong history, uh, family history of, of breast cancer or ovarian cancer. But this is actually a blood test looking to see if if you have cancer.
1: Oh, okay. Got okay. Well, that was uh, that was a a very good explanation. I I think I understand exactly what you're talking about. It's like I guess the most famous example. I think when people think about uh, the genetic screening, at least for women, a lot of people remember Angelina Jolie, whose mother died of breast cancer at a very young age, and she was screened and she apparently did have the gene. She went public with her decision to have a, a double mastectomy. That's one thing. And even though she had that gene, if somebody has that gene and their mother died from very early age, it doesn't necessarily, they've got the gene, but it doesn't 100% guarantee that they will get it, does it?
2: No, it doesn't. So it means they're at markedly increased risk. Right. So, and Depending on your gene mutation, that risk could be as high as 60 to 85 percent, but it's not a hundred percent guarantee you're going to get the
1: cancer. Okay, but this actually can say if you do have it, is this how early can this detect the cancer?
2: Yeah, so that's one problem with this test currently. So when they uh, looked at their subjects, there's about a thousand subjects in this study it did a much better job diagnosing patients with stage 3 cancers. It was not as sensitive diagnosing patients with stage 1 or stage 2. And actually, breast cancer was where this test performed the most poorly. It really didn't screen well for early breast cancer.
1: Wow. Okay. And isn't that, as an oncologist, Dr. Tsai, isn't that what you always hear is that early detection is so important?
2: Right. So we can better treat and cure cancers if we catch them early, stage 1 or stage 2. I'm not as worried, though, about breast cancer because we already have pretty good screening tests for that, mammograms, ultrasounds, MRIs. Where I think this would be most promising would be ovarian cancer and pancreas cancer, where we almost always catch these at stage 3 or stage 4 when we can treat them, but unfortunately can't cure most of those patients.
1: Wow. Okay. How... Widespread is is the use of this, uh, and because it, it, it sounds like a great diagnostic tool,
2: it does. And right now, it remains investigational. So okay. they looked at really just a thousand um, patients. They're now going to extend it and look at a larger sample of patients. So I think it will be a few years yet before we're going to be able to implement this, you know, routinely in our clinics. Uh, but I think this this holds great promise and more promise than similar tests that we've seen in recent years.
1: In terms of, um, Dr. Tsai, what um, uh, what are some of the advance or what are the advantages of getting this blood test? It sounds like you're saying it can detect cancers that perhaps people may not even realize they
2: have. Right, exactly. So let's say you go and you have this test and it suggests that you have uh, colon cancer. Well, then you're going to go get your colonoscopy. We'll see if you do have colon cancer, and then that can be treated. Similarly, for lung cancer, it suggests you have lung cancer. You go get a CT scan or a PET scan. Hopefully, we've caught it stage one or stage two, when you can have an operation and be cured. And pancreas cancer especially. I mean, you don't feel pain in your pancreas until there's a big mass that's causing a big problem. And the mortality rate for pancreas cancer you know, is nearly 100% at three years.
1: So finding
2: pancreas cancer early would be, you know, extremely important.
1: Okay, and in terms of um, uh, wh- where do you see this headed? So that right now this is just in the experimental stages. It's it's being expanded. Is it available
2: here? Not that I'm aware of. There are other assays you can do. Again, looking at biomarkers or circulating tumor cells, but not doing this particular cancer seek test. I, I think that other companies will probably try to recreate their work, so I imagine over the next few years there will be more and more companies offering similar testing. But as of right now, I think unless you're part of a study, you probably can't get this cancer
1: seat test. Right. And there are folks. I mean, there are a, a number of studies out here because I, I know people who have, you know, signed up for studies. Uh, you know, in the Twin Cities um, and at hospitals, you know, around the state. I mean, there are actual trials going on here. So, you know, you can look and usually those are on websites um, and something that people do take, you know, can take advantage of. In terms of, um, you mentioned that, like, for instance, ovarian cancer, this could be, you know, really because that's often detected so late. Is there, of the eight cancers, is there one, where um, the detection has changed the most over the past, you know, decade or or generation?
2: So, I think the three where we've seen really the greatest advances are, of course, breast cancer, um, colon cancer, uh, with the implementation of colonoscopy screening. And now there are other non-invasive ways to screen for colon cancer um, that have become, you know, promising for those who are weary to have a colonoscopy. Um, And then lung cancer. I mean, it was not that long ago that we realized that smokers um, could have low-dose CT scans and find their lung cancers early. So those three, I think we've seen the greatest advances. Those where we still have the most progress to make are for sure liver cancer and pancreas cancer.
1: Right, um, and in terms of lung cancer, is this as effective in those who who are not smokers? I mean, because they're you know, I guess I'm always sort of struck by uh, the cases of people who do get lung cancer who are not smokers.
2: Right, and we've seen more of that. You know, ten to twenty percent of lung cancers now occur in never smokers.
1: Really, so I, I didn't is, realize it was quite that high.
2: Yeah, and whether it's secondhand smoke, radon, other environmental exposures, we definitely see more lung cancer and non-smokers. So this particular test um, could be done regardless of of smoking history. Wow, okay. You
1: know, let me ask you just sort of about some of the treatment options because I I know, you know, from those um, people I know um, who have had to go through this and and also people I've talked to for, for news stories, sometimes the treatment, the chemo, that's almost worse than dealing with the actual cancer, that the, the, the consequences in terms of your day-to-day ability to, to be yourself and, and to, to look the way you, you look and, and to, to feel good about yourself, that that can be almost as, as difficult as the cancer itself. Are there some adva- uh, advances that, that you think are especially exciting when it comes to the treatment options?
2: Absolutely. We do have a saying that sometimes the treatment is worse than the disease, but we've made great advances in supportive care so we have much better anti-nausea drugs than we used to have. That's really revolutionized uh, a lot of chemotherapy for people.
1: And, and how? Long, have, when, is, when is that? Because, I mean, I have a, you know, my I'll just say, my, you know, my mother, the number of, I guess it was about six years ago, just, and she's elderly, and uh, she had, um, you know, two different forms of lymphoma, a non-Hodgkin's and Hodgkin's, and the chemo was just, she couldn't, eat and and you know finally we just said this isn't worth it, and and, worth it anymore. and 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 six years later she's still alive and doing doing okay you know so it, it was it was one of those things but it was yeah. it was literally that um mm. was so debilitating for her. she just couldn't hold anything down and she was just sure. losing I and mean, she was just a, a stick yeah. and and we, you yeah. know we all decided this isn't the way To go forward, and we—I think we all thought that there was going to be some kind of drastic consequence, but we decided, you know, we talked to the doctor. I said, "Listen, this is just not right." We, and she was, she was on board with it as well. And and fortunately, we were very, very lucky. I don't know if that happens a lot, but but how long has this anti-nausea treatment or medication been on the market?
2: Um, Well, so there's lots of different ones. Depends which one we're talking about, but you know, we've rapidly. Um, incorporated use of something called eMend that works quite well. I think the latest breakthrough, of course, is medicinal marijuana, which works quite well for chemotherapy-induced nausea and decreased appetite. As far as Hodgkin's goes, we're rapidly working to uh, get a drug approved that's much less toxic than our old standard treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma, which could be very intense. So, you know, every year new drugs are coming. Um, so I'm sorry your mom had that experience, but I'm really happy to hear that she's still. Doing yeah, that. it
1: was, it, but it was just you know it was for you know someone who was in her 80s and and she and it was her you know it wasn't just us it, but sure. it, it was you know it just wasn't right at all. Yeah. But she just and yeah. she was very very slender to begin with, and it, for her to lose you know that much yeah. weight was just really untenable. But and I'm sure that there are other people out there who have you know dealt with that and and it's a real problem if somebody's not eating at absolutely. all it can be
2: absolutely just, yeah, um, you can't safely give them chemotherapy if they're dehydrated and malnourished and developing electrolyte abnormalities so it's just we can do more harm than good with treatment you're right
1: right um but in terms of um you know overall those kinds of of uh, medications really are helping people in terms of cope with the chemo
2: absolutely and we're also using more you know, targeted um, and less toxic uh, cancer treatment. So one example of that would be immunotherapy. So medications that stimulate the patient's immune system to have an anti-cancer effect. And those approaches have been very successful in many different cancer types and have proven to be much less toxic than our traditional chemotherapy drugs.
1: And Dr. Sai, you mentioned also medical cannabis. You, you feel that that is very effective dealing with the nausea that can be associated and sometimes overwhelming uh, for chemotherapy patients?
2: I do. You know, I am able to prescribe it, and I have done so, um, I can't say a lot, but probably a dozen, a dozen or so times. And for those patients, it has proven to be helpful for nausea, for pain, and for appetite.
1: So you went through the screening and, and went through the process of getting certified for that.
2: I did. Okay, because I, I,
1: I know, and the reason I ask, I obviously Dr. Saeed is a very accomplished physician, but there is there's this other level uh, for those of us, for those of you who are listening. They, have, in order to prescribe this, you can't just be a medical doctor with you know all kinds of special you know specialized uh, levels of, of training. You've got to go through the training process for the state of Minnesota, and and that's been a barrier. I mean, people who are your patients are lucky enough to have you as because that's as an option. But the fact that these doctors have to go through the training has been a problem for people get having access to it. I mean, probably didn't explain that very well. But um, there are a lot of doctors who are not certified to actually prescribe it.
2: Right. I mean, there are many physicians who feel like they already have enough that they have to do, and that's just one more right. thing that, um, you know, they're just too busy to do it. I I just felt you know, being a cancer specialist, that it was really important to be able to do everything um, to help my patients get through right. their treatment better and more comfortably.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's great because I have talked to, and, I, I, and it's been a while, and maybe I should revisit that, um, but I know that that's been one of the issues, especially when that law was first passed. Well, listen, um, Dr. Sai, thank you so much. This is a really fascinating discussion, and it is fascinating to hear the uh, medical cannabis part of it as well. Uh, we appreciate it, and that blood test certainly sounds exciting.
2: Yeah, you're very welcome. I hope it's something that we can offer patients here in Minnesota soon.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much.
2: You're
1: welcome. Uh, interesting conversation there. But, yeah, the, the medical cannabis, and maybe I'll suggest that as part of the, um, maybe a story for, for um, that we can look at perhaps next weekend to our, our producer for this show, uh, David Josephson. One of the problems with the startup of the medical cannabis uh, was that you had to, the doctors had to go through this kind of lengthy training program. And here you have somebody like Dr. Sai, who obviously is eminently qualified. She's not going to be an oncologist uh, at Abbott Northwestern Hospital if she wasn't, but she had to go through this additional thing. And so a lot of doctors um, around the state, even though they are eminently qualified and wonderful physicians, don't have that credential, so they can't prescribe it. So that means you've got to go and find a doctor who has that Ability to prescribe it, and it's really been a problem. I think for a lot of people trying to find somebody who who is qualified or has gone through they're qualified but has gone through the certification process. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to News Radio eight three zero WCCO. It is seven fifty six eight degrees here. Uh, Esme Murphy with you until nine o'clock. It's great to be back on News Radio eight three zero WCCO with. Studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe, I guess, who's in it for the whole, the whole ride. Studio coordinator and producer Jonathan Lowe, who's here for the whole – Good lucky you, all three hours of this show. I, I'm thrilled to be working with you um, again. But anyway, coming up in the next hour, uh, it's always so much fun to talk to this guy because he's so smart. He has such great perspective and he really has such enormous insights into what is going on in the world of politics. And certainly – Manic Monday. It's been pretty manic in the world of politics. David Schultz is next.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to twenty percent versus AT and T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.
1: It's